Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a conversation from Better Together. Better Together is TBN's first daily original program made by women for women. They discuss faith, family, friends, and so much more. No topic is off limits. And now, from Better Together, Lori Crouch, Crystal Evans Hurst, Dr. Cheryl Salem, Dr. Rhiannon Bell, and Kayla Stokine will discuss mental health, suicide, and grief. Let's dive into the message. The goal is to help other people right. this week. And um, sad thing about it is if you haven't gone through grief, you're going to if you love anything. That's right. um, from your, your dog to children to um, parents, to loved ones, any, you know, a broken relationship, just saying goodbye, the grief of loving something and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And um, going through that, the great, you know, the great thing that we can sit here and talk about is that we have a hope. Yeah. Yeah. That there is hope. Yeah. This week we're um, talking about grief um, and how to get through it. And I think, Kayla, you have been, your superpower <laughs> is vulnerability yeah, and you right. have grieved mm -hmm. very openly right, and yeah. and um i just i just i just adore you and i'm so thankful for what you've let jesus do through you i think she's got such a solid foundation down on the inside of her um that she's going to show people how to grieve and how to walk through things and i think god has just has his hand on her in such a powerful way um, that she's going to just be a light and an example to so many people. So in the fall of 2017, Andrew started having panic attacks, my husband Andrew, and um, the panic attacks were happening about two to three times a week. They're very debilitating. If you've ever seen a panic attack, his whole countenance would change, his whole body would change, and I could see the fear in his eyes and there wasn't much I could do to help him. So they started in the fall of 2017, about October, and they lasted through April. And at first we thought, you know, it was his thyroid. So we were looking and doing research on his thyroid and thinking maybe he's hyperthyroid and maybe that's what's going on. And turns out that it wasn't his thyroid. And so in April of 2018, he landed in the hospital and we all just said, you know, enough is enough. We can't live like this anymore. And he was leading our church at the time. He was a lead pastor of our church at the time. And he had led our church through many years of struggle. Um, his dad had passed away three years before. So we had carried the church through a lot. And we just thought he's tired. Mm -hmm. So we put him on a sabbatical in April. And just a few weeks later, we started seeing a psychiatrist. And he was diagnosed with depression. And I'll never forget sitting in the psychiatrist's office and he looked at me and said, your husband has depression. And I was shocked. I didn't say anything. I was silent and shocked. And we walked out to the car and got in the car and sat down and I just started weeping, crying. And I, I, I looked at Andrew and I said, how did we end up here? 
how did we get here? This driven, ambitious, strong man diagnosed with depression. And we had three little boys at the time, uh, two, four, and five. So busy life, busy house, and now my husband has depression. And so it was a shock, you know, and, and he, he was grateful to have a diagnosis. He was grateful to finally know, you know, what's going on with me and finally to have a reason for why he'd been having the panic attacks and struggling and not sleeping. So we treated the depression and basically from April to August, Andrew rested and wrestled with depression. And every day I never knew what I was gonna get. I didn't know if he was gonna be happy or sad or angry. And he spent a lot of time in the bedroom resting and we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. We were seeing a psychiatrist every other week. We were seeing a counselor together for two hours every single week. And he went on solo trips by himself to go sit with God and have time with God and glean wisdom from God. And he also went and sat with mentors, went on trips just to be with them for weeks. And we did a two week road trip, just the two of us, which is hard to do when you have a house yeah, full of kids. Sure. <laughs> and so about August, the doctors thought that actually going back to work would be better for him. He wasn't 100%. He would have uh, said he was 65%, so not quite fully back to himself, but the doctors thought too much time away from work would actually make his depression worse instead of better. So he went back to work in August and he wanted to talk about what he was going through. So he gave two powerful messages on mental illness. He called the series Hot Mess mm -hmm. and he was talking about Elijah and how he ran into the wilderness and ran into a cave and he was so overcome with depression. He was asking God to take his life. Mm -hmm. And he gave out the suicide hotline number and he gave out the statistics from the NAMI website. You know, he knew all the facts and he was trying to help people and he was very transparent with his story. He talked about his journey through the summer and it was amazing. I mean, there was standing room only in the church and everyone was so thrilled that he was talking about something that doesn't get talked about enough in churches. So he gave two powerful messages and was headed into the third week and had a really bad day in the office. There was a trigger and unfortunately was never fully able to recover. And the next morning, August 24th, 2018, mm -hmm. he attempted suicide. And um, we were shocked. I mean, our church was rattled, our family was rattled. We did not see this coming. We thought he was getting better. He had gone back to work. He had just given these powerful messages. He knew the suicide hotline number. Mm -hmm. Like we were shocked, we were stunned. It wasn't supposed to happen to him. So we were in the hospital and he was on life support and unfortunately there wasn't much the doctors could do. So the next day he passed away. And yeah, so not, not anything I ever thought I would be walking through, not anything I ever thought my boys would be walking through. And, and never in a million years would I have imagined my husband, this healthy, strong man of God at 30 years old would be in heaven. The thing I want the world to know about Andrew was that he was just a normal guy. He was just like you. He loved the Lakers. He was covered in tattoos. He was a good dad. He loved to be outside. He loved to do yard work. And he loved candy. <laughs> he had a giant sweet tooth. And he was just a normal guy. Just a normal guy, good, good, good man. Loved God, incredible pastor, brilliant communicator on and off the stage, and just a incredible husband. My heart goes out to you. 
for so many different reasons. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the greatest things that comes to my mind as I was praying this morning for you was, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will mm -hmm. fear no evil. When I realized that that is not what Andrew did, that is what you do. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He, one breath here, one breath there. There's no shadow, right. no shadow of turning. But you're left here walking through right. with three little children in tow, mm -hmm. trying to make it back through the valley of the mm -hmm. shadow of death mm -hmm. and come back out into some form of joy. Mm -hmm. And yet you seem to be so filled with a supernatural joy. Mm -hmm. How is that even possible? It's all God. Mm -hmm. It literally is all God. God's literally been holding us up since it happened. And I've seen the hand of God and felt the presence of God so much more powerfully in my pain than I have in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's undeniable to me that he's real. And it's undeniable to me that he cares. And it's undeniable to me that he intimately cares about every single little tiny detail. And it's been so cool, you know, from the very beginning, I waited a week to tell my boys just to kind of sit and process and figure out how I was gonna tell them. And the day that I told them, um, just really, really cool how God shows up even in those moments. And it's kind of from there, you know, it's like right away, God was like, I'm here and I care and I'm real. Andrew's death was very sudden. None of us saw it coming. So when it happened, um, my dad swooped in and, and took the boys for me, and, and I stayed with my brother-in-law for a week. And there's so many things you have to do when someone passes away. There's so many things we needed to take care of. So I spent that week grieving heavily, grieving very heavily. I spent that week crying a ton and just being surrounded by family and friends and sitting in my pain. And I didn't plan on waiting a week to tell my kids. It just kind of happened. And I'm so grateful that I did. I'm so grateful that I took the time to meet with child life specialists and talk to people that are way smarter than me and ask them questions about how to tell them. And, and suicide makes it complicated and I didn't want to lie to them. So I wanted to do my research and make sure that I had, had it right and had the right conversation. And so I sat them down and, and told them what happened. And then me and my, my oldest son sat and colored in this coloring book. And it's called When Someone That You Love Dies. And the very first page talks about the life cycle of a caterpillar. Mm -hmm. So there was an egg and then a caterpillar and then a cocoon and then a butterfly. So we were sitting there coloring this book and talking about how daddy died and just how we're going to get through this, you know, just like the butterfly and, and rebirth and new life. and. And uh, after that, it was nap time, and I went to close the curtains. And right where I reached to close the curtains, there was a little tiny green caterpillar. Oh, <laughs> and I, I don't touch bugs. I picked it up. <laughs> I was shocked. Like, no way. I picked it up and grabbed it and showed oh. my son Smith. Oh. And we had just colored in the coloring book, and he said, that's a miracle from God. Wow. And it was so special. And that is like, just that's just what God does. Right. Yeah. And that's what God's done through our whole journey, you know, almost a year in. It's like those little tiny 
miracles that maybe I wouldn't have noticed before. Mm -hmm. And those little tiny glimpses of him and glimpses of heaven and kisses from heaven. Mm -hmm. And I love that he, that day, gave Smith something that he could understand. Yeah. You know, he gave a miracle in the size that Smith could understand. (laughs) So good. Yeah. So good. So only with God have I walked through it. Yeah. Either you've gone through grief, either you're going through grief, or prepare yourself. You will go through grief one day. And um, I just think that, that people that have come through it, people that are going through it, that are, that are overcoming daily, that's someone I wanna listen to. And um, if you love something, if you love somebody, you're going to experience grief in this life because we're not in heaven yet. Um, so I just think this is, a, this is a hopefully gonna reach out and help some of you that are walking through it um, to maybe see a little more clearly. Uh, let someone else's experience help pull you through um, and just uh, give you hope. Give, give all of us hope. All of us need the hope to get through these things. And we have that hope. And uh, that's why I think this is so important today. Talk about awareness and yeah. care. Mm-hmm. Well, look, mental health issues are so common and there's so many people suffering in silence and they're feeling isolated. They don't know where to go for help or who to turn to. And I think there is a lot of stigma still. It's improving, but there's still a lot of stigma and shame about mental health issues. But statistics tell a really alarming story. So one in five American adults experience a mental health issue. Um, the, the picture for young adults aged 18 to 25 is even more concerning. It's one in four um, experience a mental health condition. And so this is people in our, our friendship circle, okay. our church, our small group at work who are struggling with depression, with anxiety. And I think when there's awareness, it actually opens up the path to have the conversation and, and really check in and put value on people and and ask how are you and to realise that everyone is struggling with something and we need to lean in and and um, check how are people doing. And so I think that awareness opens up the path to seek treatment where there's shame and stigma around mental health issues. People are afraid to seek treatment because they're worried what will people think of me and um, sometimes it can be seen as weakness. What can we do to keep uh, our own personal shame at a minimum? And how can we help others around us? Mm. Well, shame, one good definition that I've heard is that shame is I am bad. So guilt is I've done something bad Mm. or wrong. Mm. Uh, And that can be healthy to motivate us to make change. Shame is I am bad. And so we need to be renewing our mind with truth. Yes. That no, I'm not bad, Mm. I'm renewed in Christ. I'm made worthy through what Christ has done. And so it's recognizing that voice of shame which comes up and speaks to our mind. And we all experience it at times. And so it's really important um, that we recognize the voice of shame when it does come up, because shame does have a voice and it does have a message that it tries to send us. And if we allow that voice of shame to speak to our hearts and if we actually let it sink into our hearts, then actually that can keep us crippled and it can keep us in depression, can keep us in anxiety and fear. And so learn to know what shame sounds like for you 
And when that voice of shame does come up, actually call it out and say, okay, this is my shame advisor or, or shame speaking to me. I recognize it, but that's actually not truth. And I'm going to choose to focus on truth. And, and that's actually a discipline of the mind. And it's a, a skill that can be built and it, it gets easier in time. It's almost like um, building a muscle. So what I'm hearing you say then is the best thing that, that you can do is just tell the person you're not bad, you're not wrong, you don't have to wear shame, you don't have to... So if we counteract it, will that help? That can help, but I think first we need to stop and listen, to lean in and just ask, how are you? Yeah. Can you tell me what's it like to go through that experience? Listen, um, validate their feelings rather than saying, oh, you shouldn't feel sad or you sh shouldn't feel anxious. You should be happy. Look, <laughs> we've got this church. It's like, can you tell me more about that? Makes you feel like, well, I have a real <laughs> feeling. It may not be true, but it, it's the feeling I have. <laughs> and it increases the <laughs> shame. <my> feeling. Yeah. <laughs> they feel worse. It's, it's like, oh, exactly. Yeah, in psychology, we call that dirty distress, where it's, I'm feeling angry that I'm so sad or mm. um, that I'm so anxious. I should be over this by now. So how do you validate? I think it's, it's saying um, that's so understandable that you feel that way. I'm so sorry yeah. that you're struggling with those feelings of, of fear or with those feelings of sadness. That's, can you tell me more about that? So always giving somebody the word and saying, God did not give you a spirit of fear, does not always help you. Not always. At times it, it can be helpful, but, but definitely start with listening and, and validating. And that then opens up someone's heart. They see that you're a safe person mm -hmm. to talk to and then they um, are more likely to open up and, and share how they're really going with you. Mm -hmm. What's been the most healing thing for you? I've learned so much on the other side yeah. of the suicide and um, wanting to help people and wanting to, like you said, break that stigma and break the shame and open up the conversation. And I just agree with everything you're saying that it's empathy and it's asking questions. It's not trying to fix, you know, I think I, we just so badly want to be like, you're fine, you know, like snap out of it. You have like, so much to go live for, for. Go for yeah. a run, yeah. you know, go have a salad, like go read your Bible. Like we yeah. say these things to them and we have to remember and keep in mind that their brain is sick yeah. and their brain isn't thinking rationally. Mm -hmm. They're incapable of rational yeah. thought. So their brain isn't thinking like our brain's thinking. And so I think so often with Andrew, I thought that I was talking to healthy Andrew, mm -hmm. when in fact I was talking to sick Andrew, and I wasn't able to differentiate the two. And I think when you're walking alongside somebody, it's very difficult to differentiate between mental illness and healthy. Yeah. And I think it's back, a little a little back and forth. And so I just agree. You know, the best thing you can do is offer empathy and, and just meet them where they are. Yeah. Meet them where they're at and ask a ton of questions. I didn't do a good enough job asking questions. I wish I would have asked more questions and just sat, just sit with them in their pain. Yeah, and, and treat it together. It's not a solo thing. Like you go to the doctor and you figure it out on your own. It's like, treat it as a team. Mm -hmm. Go to the, make sure someone goes to every single doctor's appointment with them. Make sure they're not alone. If they're, if they're wanting to isolate in the bedroom, like go sit back there with them and watch a movie mm -hmm. or encourage them to, 
come out. Well, I even heard you say last night that sometimes you'd go to the doctor alone yep. and say, I'm feeling better. Yep. Whereas you could tell he's not feeling better. That's right, yeah. And I think he wasn't even able to articulate properly how he was actually feeling because his brain was sick. Did he feel like he needed to wear that mask in front of people that everything was okay? I'm the pastor of the church. Everything's all right. I'm sure right. there's some of that, you yeah. know. I think it's some of that shame, too, as a man, sure, too, yeah. and not wanting to show weakness and not wanting to lose his job. I think there are a lot of pastors yeah. that struggle with mental health issues and maybe are struggling with depression and anxiety or suicidal thoughts and don't feel like they can tell anybody because mm -hmm. they're afraid they're going to lose their job. Mm -hmm. Any other job, you wouldn't lose your job. Mm -hmm. But as a pastor, people, people think, that if you're just religious enough or you're close enough to Jesus or you're walking with God, that you're not gonna have those thoughts and you're not gonna be depressed and you're not gonna be sad. And that's a lie. Yeah. It's not true. We have to change the conversation with mental health and the church. And we have to find a way to intermingle them. And we have to find a way for people who are on staff at a church to feel like they can say how they're really doing, to feel like they can be honest, that they can be vulnerable, and that there's no shame, that there's no stigma, that they can say, you know what, like last night when I was going to sleep, like I was having thoughts of suicide. And you know what, I really didn't wanna get out of bed this morning, I'm struggling with depression. And you know what, I think that I might be bipolar. Like we should be able to have those conversations in the church. The church should be the safest place to have those kind of conversations and it starts with the staff. There's a settledness that you have in discussing your husband's passing and the circumstances surrounding that. Mm -hmm. um, so many things I'd like to know about that, but I want to ask you this one thing, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, sure. what you regret. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a loved one that's dealing with a mental health illness or, or not, someone mm -hmm. had someone pass away and mm -hmm. their regrets I wish this wasn't the last thing I said, or I wish I would have called, or we should have taken that vacation, or... So how have you been able to make peace, if that's even the right way to say it, mm -hmm. with those regrets? Mm -hmm. I think for me that the regrets were in a cycle for a long time. Mm. For probably the first three months, all my mind did was try to save him and it came up with a million different things I could have done to save him. So I sat with the regrets for a long time, and I think that anybody that loses somebody sits the, with the regrets for a long time. It's part of the process. And I think now I've let those go and moved past them, but they'll always be there. Mm -hmm. I think I'll always have regrets, and I'll always wish, I'll always wish he was still here, and I'll always wish that that hadn't happened until I get to see him again. And um, I think that's just part of losing somebody. You know, even his friends that live across the world had yeah. regrets. Yeah. And I think that's just because we love them so much. Yeah. We would have done anything yeah. to be there for them. When you mm -hmm. say, I let it go, though. Yeah. So yes. I can just imagine somebody yeah. watching that's thinking, I get that, but I don't know how. How, how do let I let it go? That? So when you yeah. say, I let it go. Yeah. How did you do that? I think it's learning to do that. It's having discipline with your thoughts and discipline with your mind and and then giving it to God mm -hmm. too and, and praying through those and asking God for peace and asking God for, um, 
forgiveness, if you feel like you need forgiveness for, for different ways you didn't show up, mm -hmm. and asking God to heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but counseling, man, counseling yeah. has been my saving grace. I think the hope that you offer, though, is to say, especially for the person who's in that cycle of ruminating on those thoughts, mm -hmm is that learning to let it go is just that, something you can learn. Exactly. So the feeling of hopelessness or I'll never get over this, or it's possible to learn that. And you did that with the help of counseling, but yeah. it's possible It's to possible. Learn. You There's don't hope. have to sit with regrets for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. And your loved one wouldn't want you to either. They would want you to live. If you've lost someone you love to suicide, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I am so, so sorry that you're walking through that. I am so, so sorry that that person that you deeply, deeply love and cherish is just stripped away. I'm so sorry that you have to sit in the pain that you're sitting in. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. We're in it together and I'm sitting right there beside you in that pain and my heart goes out to you and I'm with you and God's with you and God sees you and God calls you precious, honored and loved and he wants to carry you through it. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like the Better Together crew. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.